the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. So why does David Brock and Media Matters still have any kind of sway in the media? Why? If you don't know, Media Matters is a liberal hit squad that scours the internet, TV, newspapers, public speeches to find anything they can from conservative voices with the specific intent of taking them out of context. Their entire goal is to silence dissenting voices and opinion. But I am finding it hard in today's day and age to understand their relevance. First of all, their leader, David Brock, only started his crusade to defend Hillary Clinton. He was a shill for Hillary Clinton. She's not relevant anymore. Politically, she doesn't even exist. So why is Media Matters still around? Ah, Because they have power. This isn't 10 years ago, however. People have the ability to do their own fact-checking. There's more variety on the internet for news and information than ever before. So why is the media so afraid of media matters? The Atlantic was the latest to give in to media matters pressure with the firing of Kevin Williamson. Sure, the Atlantic is a liberal publication, but at least they were sometimes intellectually honest. For years, the Atlantic had been less mudslinging and more intellectual conversation You know, even though it would be conversation that you would disagree with, but at least you could consider it. After Trump became president, that all stopped. Insanity has set in. When the Atlantic hired conservative columnist Kevin Williamson a few weeks ago, this apparently was way too much for David Brock and his brown shirts or black shirts, media matters to bear. They just couldn't stand it. They couldn't stand aside and allow a popular conservative voice to be in an established liberal media publication. That would be a disaster. So the kings of thought crime went to work. Three days ago, Media Matters began releasing hit pieces to damage Williamson, uh, Williamson's uh, image. They dug, they dug, and they dug, and they dug, and they searched, and they found a comment from a podcast and a corresponding tweet that he made four years ago. Williamson suggested that women who commit abortions should be subject to capital punishment. Now, on the surface, that definitely sounds like a shock comment. But later in the podcast, he makes it very clear that he doesn't like capital punishment. His intention was pretty obvious. Williamson was trying to make a point showing the moral similarity between abortion and murder. That's it. That right there is exactly the kind of deep critical thinking that you'd expect to find at the Atlantic. And actually, they must have agreed because they hired Williamson away from the National Review, knowing full well that he made these comments back in 2014. If they didn't, then it shouldn't have been relevant. It wasn't a secret. 99% of the staff at the Atlantic probably disagree with Williamson in general. But that would have made for some good, solid point counterpoint. It would open people's minds. But Media Matters couldn't take it. Why the Atlantic is so concerned 
with what some outdated and washed up liberal hit squad cares about is beyond me. I remember when I was at CNN and nobody really understood what Media Matters was. There's no excuse for this now. You all know what Media Matters is. So my question is, when is this going to stop? Will this stop when there's only one point of view and no debate on anything? Is that what the right wants? Is that what the left wants? Because let's play this out. If you start to adopt a, a philosophy that says, you know what? It's only my point of view. After you get rid of all the people who are the loudest against you, well, then you're going to have to start in on your friends. See, this is what happened in France with the guillotines. If you believe someone is wrong, have a conversation with them. But we don't do that anymore. We're not allowed to talk to each other anymore. Opposing views are silenced. Those that voice them are pulverized and destroyed. I think I've read a book about this. It was called 1984. Welcome to the state of the mainstream media today. It's Friday, April 6th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. I want to start here. Congratulations to Roseanne Barr, who has gone on ABC and she has found a way to uh, make herself relevant. And she's brought back her show and her second week, the ratings were not quite as high, but they were still quite high, proving that she is uh, she wasn't a flash in the pan, at least the first week. Now, I want to start with Roseanne Barr because I think it's very brave of ABC to put Roseanne Barr on television. Because remember, Kevin Williamson, he was making a point that required actual thinking and context. Media matters? No. Context matters. So his point was, there's a lot of people that believe abortion is murder. I'm one of them. So if abortion is murder, then how come we don't punish the people who did the murdering? And that would include the doctors and the mothers. How come we don't do that? And he was trying to make the point that if it's murder... We're asking for the death penalty on murder, on horrendous crimes, on a serial murderer. Of course, we would ask for the death penalty. So why aren't we doing it there? Then he goes on to say, now, I'm not for it. However, it's what you have to see. It's murder. Okay. So he made an intellectual point and he gets fired from the Atlantic. I'm going to play a clip that I think most people have forgotten from 2008. It wasn't on a podcast. It was on Russia Today. And it's Roseanne Barr right after the big bank bailouts. And she was serious. There was no, oh, and I'm just making a point here. She was serious. 
I want you to hear it. Of course, that the guilty must be punished and that we can no longer, you know, let our children see their guilty leaders getting away with murder um, because it teaches children that, you know, they don't have to have any morals and as long as they have guns and are bullies that they'll win. And I don't think that's a good message. I do say that I am for the return of the guillotine and um, that that is for the worst of the worst of the guilty. I first would allow the guilty bankers to pay, you know, the ability to pay back anything over 100 million personal wealth, uh, because I believe in a maximum wage of 100 million dollars. And if they're unable to live on that amount, then they should, you know, go to the re-education camps. And if that doesn't help, then be beheaded. Okay. So because they were involved in a crime. And they were stealing money from the people, in her words. They should go to a re-education camp. They should have their money taken from them. And some of them should be beheaded. Hmm. Now, wait a minute. If you commit murder and you have actual blood on your hands in, in a... In an exercise of critical thinking, Kevin Williamson asks, why wouldn't we then apply the death penalty to those who perform and have abortions? In an exercise of critical thinking. And he gets fired from the Atlantic, but Roseanne gets a job at ABC. She's allowed to go on. There's no outrage there. She's allowed to go on. She's totally fine. She's calling for the guillotine for bankers, which would be an entirely new law. And she gets, she goes to ABC. And I have to tell you, that's quite an accomplishment. To go to the American Broadcasting Company, that's quite, and get a primetime show, that's amazing. Just so you know, Kevin Williamson, in comparison, he's kicked out of the Atlantic. That's like being told you're not dressed well enough for a restaurant called Eat. Hello, Stu. How are you? Good. I'm glad you covered this first because it's 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 so disappointing. I mean, I, it's not a surprise to me at all. But the idea that Kevin Williamson, who you know, look, he's a he's a he's a great writer. I mean, he is a great writer. Great writer. And a uh, and I don't agree with everything he says. No, but he he does it in a way to make you think. That is what all yep. of his pieces do. He says things in the harshest way to make you think about them at times. Um, and he's that is his that's the way he writes all the time to hire a guy like that and then fire him for that reason is is insane that's like abc yeah. uh hiring uh uh hiring bill maher, uh, bill maher and yeah. then firing him on a show called politically incorrect when he's politically incorrect right so it shows that we back this point on both sides yes we've backed a, a million leftists who have said crazy things that they should keep their jobs <clears throat> it, you know look that is part of how you come to a conclusion in an argument. When you bring up 
the wild side, the wild argument on one side and the wild uh, argument on the other, you set boundaries, right? And you start narrowing that until you can find something that actually makes sense. And you're never going to agree. We're not going to agree with the left on these on these points, nor should we. So, uh, but I, I mean, to, to, be, to not be able to say to take some sort of license rhetorically and make a point like that. Um, and he does this all the time. It's not like he's like, you know, he's been a writer who's known for his flowery, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, basic vanilla commentary. That's not why he was hired. He's hired because he says things that make you think. So here's the thing. Right now, people who are defending uh, the Atlantic are... Are, are saying things like, look, a freedom of speech. That's so you don't have to go to jail. And that's what we're against. We're against fascists like, like Donald Trump who want to put you in jail. No, actually, that was Woodrow Wilson, FDR, and then the last guy to do it was Obama. So did you have a problem with those three? Because they put journalists in jail. Oh, no. So you're right. That does freedom of speech means that the government can't put you in jail for what you say and what you do. You can, you have a right to free press to say it. However, it must be true. The first trial of, of freedom of speech happened in America before we were America. And a guy was on trial uh, because he had said things about King George. And so he goes to an American court. It's like the Zinger trial or something. <clears throat> he goes to court. He is standing there in front of the judge. Judge says, present the evidence. Now, in England, you couldn't say anything about the, the king. You can't say it. No matter, no matter what, you cannot say it. This was the first case on, uh, on freedom of speech before we were a country. It's what gave that First Amendment, it, 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 it lit the fire in the minds of the founders. This is what we have to write down on paper. And here's what happened. He made his case and he said, Your Honor, everything I said about the king is true. So the judge ruled... Not guilty. If you're making things up about somebody, then there's a punishment. But if it's true, there is no punishment for the truth. Man must be free to tell the truth. Now, is that what Media Matters does? No, I can tell you right now, absolutely not. They twist it. They turn it. They turn it into something that... They turned Kevin Williams into a guy who's saying, I want all mothers to go to go to the gallows. That's not what he said. That's not what he context matters. The truth matters. One other thing, as people are defending the First Amendment and they're saying, well, that means that the government, but but this is a private industry. This is a private company. They can do whatever they want. Yes, they can. Let I thought you believed in the free market. I do. Media Matters is not the free market. Those are brown shirts or black shirts. All fascism starts the same way, with a mob in the street trying to tell everybody exactly what to do, how to live, how to salute, how to speak. And at first, 
those mobs beat everybody into submission. Then, usually after that, the leader of those mobs has the mobs executed as they just take power after they have beaten everyone into submission. Congratulations. Atlantic, you think you're doing something because we're not going to be around fascists. You are empowering the brown shirts. Oh, no, is that... Oh, no, that was probably too tough for people to hear. Oh, no, I... Uh, I just got a call. You got fired from the Atlantic. I'm oh sorry, Glenn. Gosh. You're out. Sorry. Maybe I should be beheaded. Well, I don't have time to ask Roseanne about that because she's busy working on her ABC television show. <laughs> Jeez. All right. You got to be prepared and be prepared for whatever may come your way. Did you hear that... Uh, there are uh, mudslides and flooding expected in California today. I mean, how do you live in California? How do you do it? Um, if you don't have, you know, food preparation, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? FEMA has come out in the last couple of months and said that everybody has to have their own food supply and, and uh, have at least 10 days worth of materials because... They're not going to be able to help everybody at the rate of the the crisis that has been happening over the last couple of years. FEMA is, oh, we're out of money. Yeah, right. Anyway, My Patriot Supply can help you be self-reliant. They've helped millions of people over a decade now be prepared, and they have helped my family. This week, you can get their four-week emergency food supply for only $99. That is a low price for security and peace of mind. Food lasts up to 25 years in storage. It's easy to prepare. It's your responsibility to make sure every family member has one. So order now, 800-200-7163, or go online to preparewithglenn.com. That's preparewithglenn.com. The kit is shipped right to your door, only $99. Prepare now. Preparewithglenn.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. When will the American media wake up? Will they? Is it too late? When will they wake up? And quite honestly, we all need to wake up. We're part of the media now. Social media. We're all doing it. And and look at everybody is saying, you know what's really unhealthy? Is social media where, you know, you, you, you only get one side. That's that damn Mark Zuckerberg in his algorithm. It's just giving us all just what we want to hear and reinforcing our own opinions. Oh, so um, let me just ask Jeffrey Goldberg. Are you a Mark Zuckerberg algorithm? Because that's what you are choosing to do with The Atlantic. Oh, they can't handle another opinion. Nobody is allowed to think outside of this little box. Well, actually, half the box. Half the box can only listen to their half of the box, and the other half of the box can only listen to their half of the box. I'm not even in a box. Get out of the box. How do we possibly survive when the journalists, when the people who claim to be the bastions of truth when they're cowards 
this you know i don't i don't we don't teach this anymore but life takes courage no it doesn't i want a safe zone there is no place safe especially intellectually you should never be looking for a safe zone when it comes to intellectual thought thought is good all big thought is really scary to people it always is the world is round electricity we should cross the sea and see what's over on the other side it's always frightening when it comes to thought stay out of any place that says this is a safe zone glenn beck mercury This is the Glenn Beck Program. There is a great movie that is opening up this weekend. It's called Chappaquiddick. And I want you to know going in, if you're looking for, you're looking for, yeah, get him. You're not going to find it. Um, And I don't think you should, but um, you're not going to find it. You're going to find something that I think was balanced uh, did not feel political, didn't feel like it had an axe to grind, felt historically accurate, uh, and was a really good movie. And I watched it with my uh, nieces and nephews and my daughter the other day, and uh, they had never heard of Chappaquiddick before. And they kept looking over at me going, is this real? This is true? Wait a minute, this happened? Halfway through, he didn't go on to be senator, did he? <laughs> Just waiting on the ending. Uh, it's it's really, really well done. Great acting in it. And uh, one of the producers is uh, with us. It's uh, Mark Ciardi, who who has done some of my favorite movies. The Rookie, Miracle, Invincible, The Game Plan. I love Secretariat and Million Dollar Arm. Welcome, uh, Mark. How are you, sir? Well, thanks for having me, Glenn. Uh, I have to tell you, um, uh, thank you for making this movie. Um, it's amazing uh, how many people don't even know what Chappaquiddick is or what happened. Uh, and it has truly been erased from history. And I think it's important to do it, but do it in the way you did, uh, that, that wasn't heavy handed or politically driven. Yeah. That, I mean, w- what you said earlier is exactly what our intent was with, with the movie. And I appreciate it because, you know, like you could, you can go out and really do a, you know, a hit job on Ted Kennedy on this, but we wanted something a lot more nuanced. I mean, listen, the facts when you string them together are not flattering There's no <laughs> way around it. Right. And, you know, but, but we do frame it in a way where, you know, he's lost three brothers. You know, he is now the, the, the last son, you know, you've got the moon landing happening, happening at the same time. And then you throw this into the mix and it's, and it's incredible to watch. Well, obviously from the accident on and his actions on, um, are enough of an indictment, but, uh, it's a lot more nuanced than that. And yeah, I, appreciate I, those I, comments. I appreciated the fact that, uh, you didn't make Ted Kennedy into a caricature, uh, and you didn't make him into an evil guy. Although in the end you walk out going, what an evil dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did show the battle that he had inside the weakness, uh, of him and Bruce Dern as, uh, as, Joe P. Kennedy. Holy cow, was he good as that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he says five words, and uh, those scenes with with him and Ted. I mean, he doesn't have to say it. You see everything in the eyes, and you know, Ted's reduced to kind of a child in this. And uh, you know, when he has to go tell his dad, it's almost like he threw a baseball through a window. But uh, you know, once once that you know that machine gets to work, it's a it's a, it's a real peak inside power, and 
you know, that's what makes it, you know, in context with everything certainly going on in the last eight months, uh, that it's abuse of power and how people respond to it. So with um, if, if you think uh, back and, you know, project on history, um, Joe Kennedy died shortly after within a year of Chappaquiddick. Yeah, four, four months later, four, four months, months later. Yeah. If he would have been dead, do you think Ted Kennedy would have confessed in it and he would have owned up to it right away? Good, good question. Uh, good, really good question. I, we don't know. We know that the night of the accident, he called Hyannisport many times. So he was looking for, you know, advice for sure from, from his father and, um, and, and, you know, uh, listen, the best and brightest descended on Hyannisport, you know, most of, you know, JFK's cabinet came there, including Sorensen, McNamara, all these great minds to figure out what to do with Ted. First of all, they got him off of any jail time. They got a two month suspended sentence and they got that body off the Island. There was no autopsy done. And, uh, and then, you know, things played out as they did. And, and, you know, we end on this, this famous speech he did and, uh, he craft, they crafted it as he became the victim, you know, asking if there was a Kennedy curse. And I think people lose sight of the fact, or certainly they did, that, that the young woman died and, and uh, he became the victim. So Ed, Ed Helms is good in this. He plays, um, is he a cousin of the Kennedys? Yeah, he's a cousin that almost kind of got adopted yeah, you know, okay. uh, by the family. So you know? And uh, yeah, he's great. He is really great. And he's standing up the whole time saying, you, got, you have to tell the truth. Is, was, yeah. was, without giving anything away... I mean, you know, we, it's history, so we kind of know how it ends. But it's 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 an interesting scene at the end. Is that scene with? Uh, did that happen at the end with with uh, Joe and uh, yeah. Ted? He held the cue cards. I mean, that, which, which is amazing, and and he definitely wanted him to to basically resign. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a powerful scene. You know, right before he goes on camera and. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of things that when you put them together, the facts, it's, it's incredible. When we read the script, my, my hands sweat, you know, and, and, and that's all you can ask for from a script. And hopefully we can get yeah. that on the screen. Oh, you did. did. And, you know, and one of the bigger things is, you know, we spoke to the scuba diver that found her and it was, you know, an hour conversation. And boy, you talk about going back in time. He, he, he recounted it as if it was yesterday, John Ferrer, and we okay. tracked him down and, and boy, it was unbelievable, you know, cause his contention was that she was alive in that car for a period of time and that she didn't drown. She like died three hours, right? Yeah. Like three hours. He said it could have been up to a couple hours. So, you know, he, he could have lit that Island up. He walked past the dike house, 75 yards away. We make a point of showing that as the, you know, the car drives by and he decided uh, a lot of missteps, you know, along the way, but you know, it was self-preservation from the time of the accident. Yeah, bad, bad dude. Mark, we're talking to uh, we're talking to the producer of, uh, of the new movie Ch- Chappaquiddick, Mark Chiardi. Mark, I, I would, if as a conservative, if you would have told me two years ago they're going to make a movie about Chappaquiddick and it's not going to be some crappy right-wing movie, it's going to be a really good movie with really good actors with a wide Hollywood release. I would have told you you were insane. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, can you tell us the story of how this movie got made? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I started an independent film company a few years ago, and, and one of the first meetings I had was with a friend of mine, uh, Chris Fenton. He's also one of the producers. And, and after the lunch, we were telling him, you know, we're looking for material. He called a couple weeks later. He says, listen, I got this great script. He goes, I have no idea how the town's going to respond to it. He said, do you want to read it? We read it. We fell in love with it. It was, it was not supposed to be a political move of like, oh, yeah, we got to do this. It just was an amazing script. It landed on the blacklist, which are all the top scripts of the year. And then it's like, next step is like, how's, how's the town going to respond? And, and 
people read it and loved it and supported it. So, you know, Hollywood, you know, did, did, I think did a great thing. And, and, uh, you know, it, it's based on material, not, not political ideology. And, and we put the movie together, no pushback at all until recently when, you know, uh, I think, you know, our distributor Byron Allen's been on record of, you know, there's people that don't want you to see this film. There's definitely yeah. pressure exerted. He didn't go into it who, uh, what or when, but uh, it, it, he definitely felt it. I only saw one review and it was from CNN and they said it was heavy handed and it is the farthest thing from heavy handed. I mean, uh, yeah. that was a political review. I, I thought it was great. And Jim Gaffigan. Oh is becoming a real actor. I mean, I, I wrote to Jim yesterday or day before and I, after I saw it, and I said, Jim, it is so hard. You know, I can't see Martin Sheen for anything other than Martin Sheen when he's out in the public all the time. Yeah. Here's a comedian I love and I watch and I just saw in concert here recently. I didn't see that comedian on the screen at all. That's almost impossible to do. Yeah, he, he was great. You know, him and Ed Helms, known for comedic, you know, really good. They're both kind of comedians, but we wanted John Curran, like, from the outset, he wanted these two guys. He just, it's such a serious movie that there's moments of, I wouldn't call it levity, but kind of a lightness and the timing that, that they're just great at. And, and there's some big laughs in the movie when, you know, uh, ironically, like when the war room happens and these kind of series of missteps mm -hmm. and, uh, you Very know, funny. so uh, it's it, it is funny in yeah. certain spots. But, you know, the other thing is, like, we've been reviewed incredibly well. Uh, and I'm appreciative of, you know, Wall's, you know, um, uh, all these kind of, you know, more liberal publications, uh, Village Voice, Washington Post, New York Times. So it's 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 great that people aren't looking at it politically. I mean, the CNN one wasn't, you know, was was mixed. But uh, for the most part, people have really kind of. Uh, what you pointed up and pointed out in the beginning of your show is exactly what the intent was, and people are seeing it for that. So that's great. I watched it with my daughters and uh, my uh, nieces and nephews the other day. None of them had known what Chappaquiddick was, and I I don't like I I really have a hard time with uh, with heavy handed message movies. And I kind of went into this going, okay, is this going to be one of those? And I'm going to have to say, well, that's not exactly true, and you know, blah blah blah. Uh, I thought it was so well balanced and I, I really think you've done a service. Not only have you done a great movie, you can just go and it's a great, you know, movie night. Um, and if you don't care about it, you know, anybody at all, it's just an amazing story. And I think that's why everybody wanted to have this made of, you know, now is it, it is a great story once you get away from the politics. And I, I can't, um, I can't thank you enough for not slanting it one way or another, just telling the story and letting the chips fall where they may. Well, thank you. I mean, that was the intent of it. And I'm, I'm so happy people are receiving it that way. And, you know, we, we've said from the beginning, it's not about the left or the right. It's about the truth. And, you know, sometimes that's the most compelling thing not to editorialize, just present the facts and let people make up their own mind about his actions and, and uh, you know, what happened that uh, that week and the rest of his career. Uh, me, one, one last question. That was filmed in Chappaquiddick, right? I mean, is, is that the real bridge? Well, what we, yeah, the first two days we shot in Chappaquiddick. What you see, it, the, the bridge has changed in that it has guardrails now. We had to digitally remove those. The scene that we wanted to show, and we showed the geography of that island, but when the, when the, the fisherman and the son find that car in the morning, that's the actual spot it happened in. And you see him, the little boy, run from the bridge to the dike house. We wanted to show that short oh, distance so of good. where he went. And then we went to uh, Mexico and recreated the exact uh, replica to do all our tank work and crash. And mm. so it was a, it was a big effort, but we shot on the North shore of Boston and uh, yeah, they, uh, they welcomed us with open arms there. It was great. <laughs> 
Mark, the name of the movie is Chappaquiddick, and it opens today. Let me just let, let me leave you this. My grandfather uh, was uh, a horse trainer, and my grandfather also was the greatest storyteller ever. He, he I, we kind of know him now as the greatest liar in the family. <laughs> Uh, but he made up stories, and we don't have any idea what part of our family history is true and not. Uh, and he used to tell the story of Secretariat, and he used to tell about the training and everything. And we didn't know if any of that was true because it came from my grandfather. And we went, and my, my, uh, my aunt, who's now in her 70s, she went when it first came out. And we all called each other and went, oh, my gosh. It's true. <laughs> and that movie was so well done and uh, and really meant something to me as uh, uh, you oh, know in our you. family. So thank you very much for that too. God bless. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. You bet. Appreciate it, Glenn. You bet. Bye bye. Okay. I can't wait to see this. Chappaquiddick, you, you'll love it. Out in theaters. I mean, the cast is awesome too. I mean, not only Jim Gaffigan, who's great. Uh, Ed Helms, who's awesome as well. Ed Helms, uh, is, in case you don't know, he's the guy for The Office. For The Office, he's great. Kate Mara from uh, you remember her from uh, House of Cards? If she you watch that, she's re- awesome. She's, she plays Mary Joe. Yeah, really good. Uh, I mean, the whole cast is uh, Bruce Dern, of course, as well. I mean, Jason Clark. It's a really good cast, really well done. This isn't some like little. I mean, I, we kept hitting that point over and over again, but I, I am legitimately stunned. This movie was made. I am legitimately stunned that it is. It was made by all the Hollywood people, and it doesn't defend him. Yeah, I mean, it's it doesn't it doesn't make him into you know a monster like you would you know you'd rewrite it to make him a monster. You're just left with good god that guy was evil. You know, you really are left with okay, he had struggles but man, he knew what he was doing and he chose to let her die and he chose to cover it up for power. I'm struck too by the I think it's the promotional hashtag they're using uh for the it's it's just hashtag this really happened. I mean, because I don't think people believe that something like this crazy could happen and this guy could go on for decades of almost hero worship. It's incredible. It's incredible. Make sure you see it this weekend. It's Chappaquiddick. All right. Let me tell you about our new sponsor. Uh, it's Filter Buy. Now, filters aren't the sexiest thing to sell. And uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you about them here in a second. But I, I just want to tell you about the owner. I had the opportunity to get to know the owner of Filter By. His name is David. He was working at Wall, uh, on Wall Street. He had a big title and he had a big office and everything else. About five years ago, uh, he found out that the supply business that his grandfather had started in 1958 was being sold. And all of the jobs in Alabama were going to be gone. So David decided, you know what? This is meaningless what I'm doing. What am I doing in Wall Street? He left his Wall Street job and he bought his grandfather's business. And then he did some research. Okay, what can we make here in America that would be really good and would make money and we could grow the business and we could we could hire even more people? His grandfather's business became filter by. Now they employ over 100 people. And all of the air filters are made right in Alabama in the U.S. And they're shipped for free within 24 hours. You can set up auto delivery and you can save 5% more. So you never have to run out to Home Depot or whatever. It just comes right to your door. It's really easy. They have 600 sizes available. If you have to have something custom made, if you have a big, you know, if you have one of the studio furnaces that we have in the back, you might have to have it custom made. They'll make it within 24 hours and ship it so you'll find the right filter for your home or for your business and you're going to do business 
with people like you doing business in America. That's filterbuy.com. Filterby.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. I think this is really interesting. The screenwriters of Chappaquiddick, uh, Taylor Allen and Andrew Logan, they, they both grew up in Dallas where John F. Kennedy was assassinated and they grew up and they, you know, had been to Dealey Plaza and everything. And they, and they were fascinated by the Kennedys. In 2008, they're listening to Bill Maher on uh, Real Time after uh, Ted Kennedy endorses Barack Obama. And they started thinking about why, why did Ted Kennedy never run for president? They had never heard of Chappaquiddick. They had never heard of it. And then when they started looking into it, they're like, how was this never brought up? What happened? It's why, uh, it's why I think you'll see the, the time they took to show the machinery that Ted Kennedy had around him uh, that just stopped everything dead in its tracks. Uh, it, 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 it's it's quite amazing. But to have two people, I don't know if they're left or right, find out in 2008, and they're intelligent people, yeah, and fans of the Kennedys, and they go, wait a minute, what? That's amazing. And look, we started this hour out with Kevin Williamson getting fired from the Atlantic for a comment he made in an intellectual debate about abortion. Uh, here's a guy who, who killed somebody, basically, mm-hmm. left him to die, drowning under the water, and he went on for decades, decades in that same job. Uh, elected, I think the lowest, the closest anyone ever got to him was 58% was his lowest percentage in re-election. Amazing. Because of the cowardice and the ignorance of people. Glenn Beck, Mercury. Love, courage, truth. Glenn back all right so we should talk about the uh the trade deal that china has come back because it's easy to win a hundred billion dollar trade uh uh barrier that trump has put up china is responding and it's not pretty but i think this is more important china is doing something else they're clamping down even harder on religion Remember when China seemed to be trying to show the world that, you know, oh, look, we're a hybrid system. See, you can have a bustling economy, you know, just like yours. And, uh, you know, right alongside this friendly communist regime that, you know, just kills your children in mud puddles. But, hey, we're swell. Yeah, those days are over. Now President Xi is uh, is uh, moving on parliament again. He's already gotten parliament to remove the term limits for the uh, Constitution, so he can be God again, ruler for life. He's being called the most powerful Chinese leader since Mao in China, and that's a compliment, or I should say it's a required compliment. So it's no big surprise this week when President Xi goes to the Chinese government and shuts down the online sales of the Bible. Now, why is that? What could possibly be in that book that is so dangerous to tyrants. I mean, what, what, what could it be? We don't know because we don't read it here in America anymore. China already strictly controlled the sales of Bibles by allowing them to be printed and distributed only through official state churches. But in recent years, Bibles began popping up for sale through Chinese online outlets, including Amazon. 
but not anymore. By the way, the Koran is still available for purchase online. No Bibles. It's just another casualty of China's continual effort to restrict Internet and religious freedom. Sarah Cook, she's a senior East Asia analyst at Freedom House, said, quote, religious topics and groups are among the most censored in China. We found the Chinese authorities increasingly using more high tech methods to control religion and to punish believers, including surveillance and arrest for believers for sharing information online, end quote. A secretive department of the Chinese Communist Party called the United Front Work Department is now in charge of the government's efforts internally. They used to be just overseas influence efforts, but recently they have also taken the, quote, ethnic and religious affairs over, which means the Communist Party is moving further to tighten its stranglehold on religion. Analysts say the specific crackdown on Christianity is driven by President Xi. China's State Administration for Religious Affairs has now developed a five-year plan. Hey, Stu, didn't Mao have a five-year plan, too? Yeah, a couple great ideas on that front. Yeah, mm. how, uh, how many people thrived under that five-year plan? Oh, I mean, if, if by thrived you mean uh, died unnecessarily, about 60 million. Okay, but that's it. Okay, so they've got a new five-year plan. It includes work on a new, more Chinese version of the words of Christ. So this ban on online Bible sales is just to clear the shelves for the new approved communist version of scripture coming soon to Chinese pews. Five-year plans. Mao is a fan. President Z is a, cha- is a fan. Oh, you know who else? Stalin was also a fan. It's Friday, April 6th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Boy, the world is drawing lines, and we don't seem to even... We don't even seem willing to even talk about lines. All right, Peter Schweitzer. He is uh, the author of Clinton Cash. He has come out with a new book called Secret Empires, How the American Political Class Hides Corruption and Enriches Families and Friends. And welcome to the program, Peter Schweitzer. How are you, Peter? Hey, I'm great, Glenn. Great to be back on with you. Thanks for having me. You bet. So, so Peter, you you started with Clinton Cash, and you were looking at how they were making all this money and, and where it was all coming from. And this is an interesting, uh, it's not even really a departure. You went in and looked at both sides. And what did you find? Yeah, what we found is that uh, uh, political elites on both sides of the aisle are uh, engaged in massive self-enrichment, and uh, it oftentimes includes foreign governments and uh, foreign oligarchs because they want to pay for the access, pay for the influence, and you know, as you were talking there about China, and you've talked about it on a regular basis, China looms large here. They basically have created this strategy, Glenn, of um, buying off uh, elements of American political leadership by giving lucrative deals to their family members. And unfortunately, it appears to be working. So give, give us some examples of this. 
Well, I'll give you one uh, Democrat and one Republican, uh, Joe Biden, Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, Think of this for a second. In December of 2013, Joe Biden, as Vice President of the United States, is flying on Air Force Two to Beijing, China. Whole host of controversial issues on the table, the South China Sea, trade issues, religious freedom, human rights, North Korea. Well, with him on the plane is Hunter Biden, his son. Uh, this is not the son that, that tragically died. That was Bo Biden. Hunter, this is Hunter Biden. Uh, so they fly over on Air Force Two. Joe Biden is there for a couple of days and really gets widely criticized on that trip for going soft on Beijing. Mm-hmm. Well, they leave, and Glenn, 10 days later, Hunter Biden's firm, Rosemont Seneca Partners, strikes a $1 billion, that's with a B, billion-dollar deal with the Chinese government. This is, this is not an American company in China. This is not a Chinese quasi-state company. This is the Chinese government. And that's just the first of a series of deals that the Biden family does with the Chinese government as Vice President Joe Biden is negotiating with the Chinese government. So how, so, come, how come we're not seeing this anywhere? Why is... Why is no one ringing the bell anywhere? Well, it's a great question, Glenn. I mean, look, uh, uh, you know, in, 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 in a sense, I'm very, very frustrated, but I'm also very thankful. I'm frustrated that the media uh, did not cover this at all when it happened. They're starting to cover it now. Uh, on the other hand, I'm sort of the beneficiary of it because I'm an author and it gives me great material <laughs> that, that the media is not covering. But, but this is the huge problem. And, and what I've said is that, look, the, the, the media, you know, the punditry on, 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 on Trump by some of the mainstream media, I think, has just been, like, over the top. Yeah. But the, the reporting, the detailed reporting of, you know, Jared's uh, meetings with foreign bankers, that's exactly what the media should be doing. My criticism of the media is they just don't do that much to other people. They didn't do it to the Bidens. They certainly haven't done it to Mitch McConnell. And it's the selective nature of this stuff that um, is so frustrating that the media doesn't want to cover. So give me, I mean, the, the, the characters on the front of your book, the prominent ones, Obama, Biden, and Mitch McConnell. Tell me Mitch McConnell or, or give me, you know, give me something on the Republican side. Well, Mitch McConnell, uh, again, it's, it's uh, China. Um, you know, Mitch McConnell is married to Elaine Chao, who is the uh, transportation secretary in the Trump administration. Very similar situation as it was with the Bidens. You go back a little bit earlier uh, to 1993, Mitch McConnell, the senator from Kentucky, uh, goes to Beijing with his father-in-law, Elaine Chao's father, James Chao. It's not an official congressional delegation. They are there as guests of the China State Shipbuilding Corporation, or CSSC. And as the name implies, Glenn, this, of course, is owned by the Chinese government. And in fact, it's really one of the largest defense contractors in Beijing. They're the ones building the ships that are trying to challenge U.S. naval supremacy. So they go there in 1993, and what Beijing basically says, and of course, they see the lay of the land, they see that Mitch McConnell is this rising senator, they say, look, we will set you up in the shipping business. We will give the Chow family, their company foremost group, this great deal. We will build your, ship, your ships for you. We will finance the construction of those ships. We'll provide crews for those ships, and we will provide contracts for those ships. Um, and, you know, long story short, over the next 25 years, the family has become very, very wealthy, courtesy of the Chinese government. And James Chow, a couple of years ago, just gave a gift 
to Mitch McConnell of between $5 million and $25 million. So he's a, he's a direct beneficiary of this. Here's the problem, Glenn, and you probably know where this is going. Look at Mitch McConnell's record on China. After the Tiananmen Square massacre, up until 1993, he was one of the most vocal opponents of Beijing when it came to human rights, when it came to these national security issues. That has all gone away. Uh, he will say an occasional thing about, you know, China, well, gosh, we wish they were better about human rights, but it is incredibly muted. And he has worked aggressively. I count this in Secret Empires. He's worked aggressively to undermine any attempts to deal with issues related to human rights, trade issues, currency manipulation, etc. Um, so it's very, very clear, I think, in both the case of Biden and McConnell, Chow, that they have A, made these political families very wealthy, and B, those political families have in effect returned the favor by going soft on Beijing. It's, it's a strategy that is terrible, uh, and it's working. The name of the book is Secret Empires. Um, I, I want Peter to uh, stick around and tell you about Smash and Grab. What politicians are doing, it sounds an awful lot like uh, what Andrew Jackson did when he went into office as the poorest president and left office as the richest president. We'll give you that coming up in just a few minutes. Right now, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter knows that you need the right person. When you're looking to hire somebody, you need the right person, and you need the right person quickly. So there's got to be something better than just posting your job online and praying for the right person to see it. Well, ZipRecruiter knew that there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that is smarter, and it finds the right job candidates for you. It learns what you're looking for, identifies the people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. And it's the invitations that have turned everything around. Now, ZipRecruiter will get a quality candidate through the site 80% of the time in the first 24 hours. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss the perfect match. The right candidate is there. ZipRecruiter can help you find them. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses your size, my size, all the way up to Fortune 100 companies. Post your job on ZipRecruiter for free right now. Give it a shot. It's free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. It's free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. We reported on Tuesday that the Nazarene Fund is trying to help a group of persecuted Iranian Christian refugees. These people are known in the media as the Lautenberg Christians. They were waiting for their final permission to emigrate to the United States. Uh, and at the last minute, they were denied visas uh, by the U.S. government. We don't know why, but these people are going to be shipped back to uh, Iran, and they are open Christians. They are going to be executed if they are, uh, are they're, they're returned to Iran. We're trying to help them. We'll have all the details coming up in about uh, 45 minutes from now. Back with Peter Schweitzer, who uh, has written the book Secret Empires, and it's all about how the political uh, class here in America is hiding their corruption and enriching their their friends and family. This this strikes me, Peter, very much as what Andrew Jackson did when he would when he would go in and say, "I'm going to take this Indian, uh, Indian territory and uh, break all these treaties." And hey, go down there, just be standing by the land office, 
you know, nine o'clock, something's going to happen. Be ready and buy some land for me. And he enriched yeah. all of his friends and him. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Um, this is a repeat of that, uh, what we call smash and grab, um, and it involves Barack Obama. I mean, I'm somebody who has not been a Obama fan as far as his policies and his worldview, but I never really thought that there was going to be much financial corruption uh, in his inner circle, and uh, I was just dead wrong. And smash and grab is very similar. As the name implies, Barack Obama would go in and smash a company or smash an industry, and then uh, a very close friend or a close financial ally. It could be George Soros. It could be Tom Steyer, or it could be his best friend, a guy a lot of people have never heard of named Marty Nesbitt, would come in and buy the company for pennies on the dollar. And, and the, the most vivid example, I would say, is, is probably the University of Phoenix, which is a, a for-profit school um, that the Obama administration decided was not serving students well, by their definition. Uh, and they said, we're not going to allow GI Bill money, that is money from the Pentagon that allows access active duty soldiers and, and others who've been enlisted to use that money to attend the University of Phoenix. Well, you can imagine, Glenn, what happened to the stock price of that company. It went Russia. from $100 a share down to about $3 a share, at which, point, at which point, Glenn, uh, his best friend, Marty Nesbitt, who runs something called the Vistria Fund in Chicago, stepped in and bought the company for pennies on the dollar. At which point, you probably know where this is going next, the Obama administration reversed course and said, you know what, we are now going to allow GI Bill dollars to flow to this company, That's thereby, incredible. of course, elevating the valuation again. So it's, it's, it's a very insidious form of crony uh, capitalism and corruption because you're not only taking something that doesn't belong to you, you're actually destroying other people's businesses, whether it's the University of Phoenix, they did it to coal companies, they did it to payday lenders, and his friends stepped in and made a lot of money what about the smash and grab did you get into it at all i remember right at the beginning of the uh, uh, obama administration when they took over uh, gm and then they started picking and choosing car dealerships and people right. who had car dealerships forever lost those did you get into that at all I didn't, but that's a great uh, a great point to bring up. I mean, this is the problem. The you know we've talked about uh, crony capitalism before. Is you give politicians the power to pick winners and losers, and the losers, you know, shock of all shocks, tend to be opponents mm -hmm. or non allies of the politicians, and the winners always seem to be their close friends and allies. And you know, it's 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 very very um, difficult to detect. But, you know, it's like this circle. Uh, so what you have is Marty Nesbitt making all of this money through the actions of his best friend, Barack Obama. Uh, what is Marty Nesbitt now? He's the chairman of the Obama Foundation. So he is now pouring money into uh, Barack Obama's next enterprise. So it's the ultimate sort of in, in uh, backscratching. And, you know, this is the sort of insidious stuff that you are going to get with any president when you have them intervening uh, in markets these ways and picking winners and losers. So this is why I think conspiracies start, because you have exposed both sides in your book. And right. there will be people that would, you know, friends of mine that are on the right or on the left that will overlook things that, you know, will happen with the Bushes or happen with the Trumps, but they will zero in on Barack Obama. The same thing right. with the people on the on the left. They will not listen to anything about Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton, and they think it's conspiracy theory because 
No one is covering both sides. Right. No, this is a huge point. And the only way we are ever going to get at the root of corruption and cronyism is when we are prepared to call out our own side. The, 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 The corrupt political class works in a bipartisan manner on one thing, and that is feathering their own nests. Um, you know, there is cooperation on that. There may not be on the budget. There may not be on a whole host of other issues. On that issue, uh, they cooperate. Um, and they are counting on the fact that we have this binary view. Well, you know, I can't call out the guy on my side because if I do, the other side might gain a seat and we're going right. to lose. So I've just got to stick yep. with a corrupt guy on my side. And both sides do it. Peter. So my challenge to people is if they're going to talk about corruption, you need to be prepared prepared to call out somebody on your side first. You've done this, Glenn. There, there are other people doing it, but, but precious few want to do it. They end up using corruption and cronyism just as a bat to hit the other side with rather than really trying to change this stuff. Is anybody doing anything in Congress to stop it? I mean, really? Um, you know, I, I don't think there's a, there are some reformers that tend to be more junior. The problem you get is the longer the people stay in Washington, D.C., uh, the no less more. bad it appears to them. I, I had a, a, a guy who served in Congress for eight years who told me, he said, look, let's be very clear. When you first get to Washington, D.C., most people see its, um, you know, a cesspool. But you stay a few years, and then it starts to feel like a hot tub. You know, it's, it's just, it's comfortable. It's, it's, it's you know, you, you get used to the smell, you get used to the odor, and then you think, oh, this isn't really that bad. So it's, you know, on issues like term limits, which I used to not think were a good idea, I have changed course because we've got to root out this culture. You've got people on both sides of the aisle shouting at each other, saying this side, if they take over, are going to wreck the country. And then what do they do? They both retire and they open a lobbying shop together. So there's so much theater related to the partisan difference, but when it comes to the sort of industrial logic business model of Washington, D.C., they're all on the same team. Peter Schweitzer, the name of the book is Secret Empires, available now, How the American Political Class Hides Corruption and Enriches Family and Friends. Peter, thanks for your hard work. Thanks for exposing it yet again. I appreciate it. God bless. Thanks, Glenn. Glenn Beck, Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So if you weren't following the news yesterday, you might have heard that Kevin Williamson was fired from the Atlantic. Who is Kevin Williamson? Well, he's a really, really smart libertarian. Um, and he's a guy who is is very, very dry in his uh, sense of humor and uh, says things in pointed ways to get you to think. That's his job. Get you to think. He was just hired away from the National Review. And uh, he's he is truly one of our greater minds. And uh, he was hired by the Atlantic. Now, a lot of his friends said, you're not going to find a happy place over there, Kevin. <laughs> Let's see how long this lasts. No, 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 no. They're interested in, 
they're interested in the other side as long as it's, you know, it's, it's, it's intelligent dialogue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Media Matters gets involved, and they start to find, uh, they start doing their digging on him, and you can always find something on somebody. And they found a, a podcast that he did where he posed the question, if you believe that abortion is murder, shouldn't we hang the people or give them the death penalty if they've had one or performed one? Because wouldn't we do that for a child if a child was murdered? Wouldn't, why wouldn't we give them the maximum sentence? Now, in that same podcast, he said, now, I don't believe in the death penalty, but I'm just asking the question. That was too much for Media Matters. So they started a campaign and uh, they didn't let the free market decide. They, Media Matters, is brown shirts or black shirts, whatever, whatever side of fascism you would like. Uh, they took to the streets the phone and email and they started letting Atlantic, the Atlantic, know you've got a Nazi in your midst. And we should be clear. The comments made by Kevin Williamson do not cross any line of media matters. There is no line of media matters. The only line of media matters is opportunity. And they saw an opportunity with Kevin Williamson to flex their muscle and try to get new donations and gain gain more power and scare conservatives and scare mainstream media from hiring conservatives. They are not offended in the least by anything that Kevin Williamson has ever written. They don't care at all. They only care about their own power and their own money. Period. They are a, a, they are nothing but a, 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 an organization dedicated to destruction. And they see Kevin Williamson's comment, you know, look, obviously they're a liberal organization. They oppose the pro-life movement, but there's no difference for them, between what Kevin Williamson said about entertaining the potential death penalty for people who get the uh, abortions and someone who says uh, you shouldn't be able to abort someone nine seconds before birth. There's no room between those two comments for media matters. They don't care at all. They just know they can't get people fired for saying you shouldn't be able to abort people nine seconds before birth. They, they And that's all they care about is destruction. They're, they're a joke. I mean, and they're, you know, look, they'll say anything. They'll do anything. They've had to retract stories about me in the past. This is an organization that doesn't care. They are just looking for to try to uh, perform a, a character assassination over anyone who's on the right. So the, the idea that this comment is like really out of line for them, they don't care about the comment. That's not the business they're in. They're in a business of opportunistic destruction. So here's the thing. You either have balls or you don't. I've had people work for me. Amy Holmes, who's in our studio here in a few minutes. Amy Holmes has worked for me. She believes in abortion. She was open about her belief on abortion. She was consistent on her belief on abortion. And I am pro-life. Okay, we, we can't work with each other? Of course we can. We can't be on the same platform? Of course we can challenge you mean the intellectual exercise that we need every day challenge me but don't do it in a bomb throwing way be consistent and be educated on whatever it is you're talking about don't be an idiot that's important now kevin williamson is anything but an idiot and he was very clear that this was a mental exercise now let me ask you this Kevin Williamson 
poses a question. If you believe it's murder, shouldn't we then prosecute those who murdered that child? Good question. Some mental gymnastics. Am I consistent? What do I really believe? Why not? Or why? Those are all things that the average person should be thinking. But he's saying, if you actually believe this is murder, and these people who are the doctors have blood on their hands, should they be prosecuted? And if not, why? And he gets fired from the Atlantic. But I want to play some audio from somebody who said almost the same thing, except this is not in any way, shape, or form something that you should be executed for. Listen to Roseanne Barr. Of course, that the guilty must be punished and that we can no longer, you know, let our children see their guilty leaders getting away with murder um, because it teaches children that, you know, they don't have to have any morals. And as long as they have guns and are bullies, that they'll win. And I don't think that's a good message. I do say that I am for the return of the guillotine and um, that that is for the worst of the worst of the guilty. I first would allow the guilty bankers to pay, you know, the ability to pay back anything over 100 million personal wealth, uh, because I believe in a maximum wage of 100 million dollars. And if they're unable to live on that amount, then they should, you know, go to the re-education camps. And if that doesn't help, then be beheaded. Now, nowhere on Russian TV did she go, or anytime else, did she go on to say, "Oh, I was just a parody bit." Oh, I was just trying to make people think. And she's rewarded with an ABC show. Now, how does this work? I'm just trying to find the consistency here. They're both talking about execution. They're both talking about execution that's for something that is controversial yet legal. One, people actually die and people have actually caused the death of another individual. The other is corruption. Both bad, one worse. Murder. And really what Kevin's doing there uh, is totally different than what Rosanna's doing. Rosanna's advocating a uh, an execution for people who made money in some way she finds to be corrupt. Yeah, and right? also, well, that and re-education camps. And re-education camps, right. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know, execution. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is her advocating for a specific thing what, what it seems like kevin williamson was doing from the parts that i've heard from his commentary is exploring the idea is when we say abortion is murder is it what we mean or is it a rhetorical device mm-hmm. right for example the nr the nra is a terrorist organization is something the left says often right mm-hmm. if they actually believed the nra is a terrorist organization the answer to that question is not to restrict future purchases from 18 to 20 year olds of one type of weapon Right. Like you wouldn't say, hey, ISIS, they're a terrorist organization. We should restrict their purchases of AR-15s for ISIS members between 18 and 20. Right. Like you would say we need to attack. We need to do something much more dramatic than that. Right. Because in reality, what that is, is a rhetorical device. They're saying it's a terrorist organization. And and there are dopes on Twitter who believe it. But in reality, the left doesn't actually believe the NRA is a terrorist organization. They may, they really want power of guns, right? And they think this is a way to make that happen. Uh, and is, so we're, he's exploring, Kevin, I think, is saying, like, do we actually believe this? And that's a tough conversation. It's a conversation not 
uh, and I believe as Kevin has said since, it's not really a great conversation to have on Twitter, right? It's it, it's not a it's not the best venue for that type of conversation. Um, and it's it's interesting, to kind of look at at that and say and and take a step back and say, what do we accept? Because when you're looking to really challenge someone, we can all sit here and say the same basic arguments over and over and over again. How long have we been talking about this? We've been talking about this, Glenn, going back probably since the formation of this program to a lot of talk radio has the same conversations over and over and over again. You need to do what thing? You need to do different things. We've talked about this intellectual dark web over the past uh, few months, which is a stepped into areas, I think, uh, that have that are really uncomfortable for uh, polite discourse. Now, it's not to say that you're you're throwing bombs or, or, or insulting people. No, they have intelligent, in, yeah, into uncomfortable areas. That is something we should all be cheering on as a society. Because you know what, we might go into an uncomfortable area and say, you know what, I'm glad that's uncomfortable. We should keep that uncomfortable. Because that that doesn't that doesn't work for me. That's not a good place for us to go. But to to, to act as if you can't have those conversations it, it is ridiculous. If you can't have those conversations, how do you advance? How do you how do you challenge a long held belief? You know, for a while, a long held belief was black people should be slaves. Okay, and it was really uncomfortable for people like Benjamin Franklin to have the conversation. You know what? I don't think black people should be slaves. It was the thing that had happened for how many years? You know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, all of history, basically, people had slaves. It was not a questioned part of society, largely. But people like Franklin and many others took that uncomfortable step to say, hey, maybe we're the worst people on earth for doing this. So there's an interesting piece of history. Sam Houston, uh, the governor of Texas, he was a senator of Texas first. He was actually kicked out of uh, the uh, out of the Senate. He and Davy Crockett and a lot of them because he disagreed with slavery. Sam Houston, you know, evil racist Texas. Hmm. Sam Houston. Sam Houston was on the floor of the Senate, and they were arguing that that uh, preachers have no place in politics. The Democrats. The Southern Democrats. They have no place in politics. Their voice is in the church. There is a separation of church and state. And that's when Charles Sumner got up about 1857. And he got up and he said, let me address this. And Sam Houston got up and said, Charles, sit down. I got this one. And he gave one of the most rip-roaring speeches about freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion, and freedom of thought. Here's two Southern uh, uh, senators standing up and saying, no, I think you misunderstand. Just because you're a preacher doesn't mean you lose your right to free thought, free expression, freedom of your own voice nobody ever loses that now the left will say today that well no this is there nobody's going to jail no what were they doing they were trying to silence people whenever you are with someone and they say you know what we need to silence that person you're in the wrong crowd 
I don't care what side they're on. I don't care who they are. But if they are trying to silence people, you're in the wrong crowd and get out of there quickly. Let me tell you about Simply Safe Home Security. They are, man, they're a great company and they're great people. I've been partners with them for about 10 years now, and uh, I have seen how long it has taken them to come up with the new Simply Safe. And they've they've done they've done everything they can to make it just rock solid. Storm takes out your power, you're covered. Intruder cuts your phone line, you're covered. They destroy your keypad and siren, you're covered. Nothing they do, they they don't think anything they do is overkill because they think like you do. For instance, they have cameras in the house and nobody likes cameras in their house. I don't want cameras in my house. So what did they do? They decided that their camera was going to be different and it needed a, a, a shield, a lens cover. But they wanted to make sure that you knew that lens was down. So when you arm the security system with the cameras... You'll hear them open up. They, they took this metal and they had to find the right size of metal and to make the right amount of noise. So you hear that lens cover go zoop. And now you know it's open. And when you disarm, zoop, and it closes and you know it. That way, nobody is spying on you. Now, nobody else is thinking like this. Nobody else is doing this, especially, especially at the prices of Simply Safe. Simply Safe, they only charge what is fair. 24-7 professional security monitoring is $14.99 a month. And there's no contracts, no hidden fees. They want to empower you. I recommend Simply Safe. Please, simplysafebeck.com. Take care of your family. If you need uh, a security system, please check this last. Go check everything else. And then go to simplysafe.com slash back, or I'm sorry, it's simplysafebeck.com. You go there after you've seen everybody else and compare. You'll buy Simply Safe. Simplysafebeck.com to protect your home and family. Simplysafebeck.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. You know, we're just talking about uh, Roseanne and and what she said about giving bankers the guillotine. Uh, they got rich on Wall Street. Uh, she was serious about that. She was rewarded with an ABC show. But she's also a a massive conspiracy theorist. Yeah, well, she holds on to the ABC show despite very recently. Because the clip we played, I think, was from 2011. Mm-hmm. This is very recently uh, talked about her support for Donald Trump. Uh, and you might say, well, that's great. I mean, you know, he had passed that tax plan. That's not why she's supporting Donald Trump. She's supporting Donald Trump because of her belief in a bunch, a series of very strange conspiracy theories that she believes Donald Trump is involved in, um, which uh, Donald Trump does not say he's involved in at all. If if I'm not mistaken, (laughs) she's back to the the pizza. It's basically Pizzagate. They barely even remixed the conspiracy theory. It's just not Pizzagate. It's another place. Yeah, it's called uh, it's called The Storm. The conspiracy theory is start called the storm. It it was born on 4chan. We should go through some of the details of it because because it's crazy. It's a she, it's, she is not a stable individual. No, uh, and and she's fine. ABC. I mean, imagine giving Alex Jones uh, an ABC show. 
Fair point. They don't even want him to be interviewed by Megyn Kelly. Right. No interviews done. They'll put her on ABC. Glenn Beck. Mercury. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. On Tuesday, this program reported that the Nazarene Fund is trying to help a group of persecuted Iranian Christian refugees. These people, uh, known in the media as the Lautenberg Christians, were waiting for their final permission to emigrate to the United States. But then they were denied visas at the last minute by the U.S. government. We don't know why. The group fled from Iran and traveled to Austria as part of an official U.S. program that specifically helped persecuted Iranian Christians. There were also Jews and Zoonostrans and other religious minorities that were looking to escape the repressive uh, Iranian regime. These people sold all of their possessions. They traveled to Austria, remember, on a U.S. government program, not illegally. They went through the security screening processes. They were approved to come to the U.S. They were expecting to do it this month. And then for some reason, the U.S. government, the same group that promised them safety, and told them, leave, and we'll get you to America. The same country that promised them this now is telling them, no, uh-uh, you can't come. So now they have no place to go. The Austrian government is threatening to deport them back to Iran. If that happens, these people left because of their faith. These people are certain for persecution, imprisonment, work camps, and possibly death. This is especially true, not just because of their religion, but now they have also uh, been in extended contact with the U.S. government. Of course, they're all spies now. It is reported that they are destitute, not able to take care of their basic needs in Austria. There are several elderly and disabled people in the group. This is an unmitigated disaster by our making. We have an update now from... uh, from the reporter who actually broke this story. She is uh, Mindy Belts. She is the senior editor of World Magazine, author of the book, They Say We're Infidels. Welcome, Mindy. How are you? Hi, Glenn. Thank you for having me. So, first of all, let's start with the with the Lautenberg Christians. What does that mean? Why are they mm-hmm. called that? The Lautenberg Amendment was passed by Congress during the Cold War era to grant asylum to special categories of people who are just historically uh, in an ongoing way persecuted at that time uh, it applied to Jews for instance coming out of the former Soviet Union in 2003 Congress amended that to include non-religious I'm sorry to include non-Muslim religious minorities coming out of Iran we know that uh, Tehran is the Islamic Republic is a government that is founded on religious oppression principles. And so um, Congress extended this protection and uh, to uh, those who qualified under the Lautenberg uh, Amendment. Uh, interestingly enough, Vice President Mike Pence voted for that amendment in 2003. And we've been granting, you know, select groups of, of non-Muslims coming from Iran uh, asylum in the United States ever since. Okay, so who are these? Who are these people? 
Well, interestingly enough, I've talked to several of them and, uh, and, and their families, a number of them have families already in the United States who are U.S. citizens. They are wage earners who gave up jobs in Tehran and other cities in Iran uh, once they realized they qualified under the program and had been uh, given uh, some indication they could leave and be given asylum in the United States. Hang on, hang on just a second. Food. Hang on just a second. I want to clear that up. It wasn't they were given some indication that I've seen the paperwork. They, they were right. They were accepted into this program by the United States. Right. I'm, I'm looking at one of them now given to me by one of the applicants. It, it actually uh, they were sent. Uh, it says across the top notice of eligibility for resettlement. It's stamped with the Department of Homeland Security uh, insignia and the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Uh, granted them uh, eligibility to apply for resettlement, and that, and it was on that basis that Austria extended them uh, visas to come to Austria. Austria, under a cooperative agreement with our State Department and our embassy in Vienna, uh, acts in, in effect as a staging ground so that they can come to Vienna. Right. They begin their resettlement process. They complete their security clearance process. That, too, begins before they come, but they complete it in Vienna, and then they are processed, as other refugees are, for admission to the United States. How often, Mindy, is it that somebody is granted this and then it's revoked? Up until this particular uh, group of about 100 that we're talking about, almost never. I was told 98% of the time, once they reach Austria, they have already gone through the legal and, and security hurdles and, and are deemed qualified by the U.S. government so, to come to Austria, thereby to come to the United States. Is there, is there, some, is there any reasonable explanation on why this is happening? Uh, there are explanations. You and I could debate whether they're reasonable or not, but there, there has been just a, a really a chasm of, of a, kind of a black hole on, on this whole thing that we've been asking questions now for a couple of months. A number of other people have been asking too. Uh, uh, members of Congress wrote letters in February on this and have not received answers back. Uh, we've had some statements from the State Department. The State Department told us these are, uh, this has to do with um, the previous administration's security clearance hurdles. Uh, we've been told that they failed security clearances, but it's hard to imagine that. You know, you mentioned... All 100? Um, it's hard. <laughs> all 100, exactly. And you mentioned that some of them are disabled. We know, I mean, I know that there is at least one elderly couple in this group uh, and and one of those family members uh, is in a wheelchair. So it's just, it's not credible that they pose a security threat. And the limbo that they've been left in is also what's questionable. If they did pose a security threat, you would expect the Austrian government to be deporting them back to Iran by now. That's not happening, even though they've been threatened with that. And they've actually, some of them have had their apartments raided by Austrian police and have been asked to turn over passports and documents. So they are being asked to live in really uh, a kind of intolerable limbo, uh, and and we are not getting answers to what the U.S. government's position so on this is. Mike Pence is a, is a reasonable man and a good man. What does he say about this? Have you had the chance to talk to Mike? 
No, and to my knowledge, because uh, the uh, members of the Tom Lantos Human Rights Commission in the in the House of Representatives, they sent a letter dated January 29th to Vice President, and um, you know, in it they they reminded him. I mean, the Vice President has been an outspoken advocate for persecuted Christians. He he said their plights have stirred uh, Americans to act, uh, and uh, yet there's been no response from his office. Um, to the Tom Lantos Commission, and and I'm not aware of of him taking an active role despite being asked to. So what can the average person do, and what can we do at Mercury One? Well, you know, it seems to me that this is the sort of thing that um, ought to be, uh, Congress at least deserves to have an answer on what's going on. They, They need to have an intelligence briefing. If we're talking about national security issues here, then it seems to me a closed door briefing on what's going on with these cases. There need to be answers given to Congress, given to the American public on whether our immigration laws, I mean, this is a provision of our immigration and refugee laws that is does not come under the current uh, Trump administration travel bans. They need to be told why our, our government is not processing refugees and immigrants in a lawful way if they are applying under the law. And um, everything that I've learned about these cases indicates to me that up until, um, you know, just a few months ago, everything was proceeding according to law. So now it seems to me that uh, the State Department, Department of Homeland Security and the vice president uh, because he's been asked about these specific cases, need to need to be open and say, here are the concerns that we have. And then they need to resolve these cases for the benefit of these families from a strict humanitarian standpoint. These families need to know if they are going to be able to live somewhere in safety, if they're going to be forced to go back to Iran, which, as you pointed out, would be disastrous. Tell me, tell me. Or, uh, or what? Tell me, Mindy, um, what, ha- <clears throat> what happens to them if they do go back? I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> they have, <clears throat> excuse me. They have been, um, uh, they've taken a stand on, re- on religion, which is not going to go over well in the first place. But then they went to the Americans and they have had contact with the Americans, which never goes well. What happens to these people, do you suppose, if they go back? I think it's clear that it, 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 it won't be good. I mean, we can look at, I mean, three, three Iranian pastors were sentenced to given lengthy jail sentences um, in this past December. Um, there are dozens of Iranian Christians who are in, in jail now. Plus, you have this destabilized situation where continue to have demonstrations in Tehran and other cities, and people are arrested almost every night there. So as you point out, these people not only fall against, uh, you know, have a strike against them because they are non-Muslim uh, religious minorities. The second strike they have against them is that by taking the steps they have, they clearly uh, oppose their government. They they don't believe they're safe under their own government, and they would be going back at a time when this government is uh, taking people off the streets and putting them in jail. Why would they not uh, just immediately jail these people? Why would they not be denied? They've sold their property. They've given up their jobs. What do they have to go back to? 
Mindy Belts, the author of uh, They Say We Are Infidels. She uh, also has, uh, she's the senior editor of World Magazine, and she's the one who's broken this story. And, and please stay in touch with us, Mindy, and we'll continue to follow the story. Appreciate it. Will do. Thank you. By the way, if you want to get involved, please support the Nazarene Fund. You can go to the NazareneFund.org. Let me go to uh, Christina in California. Hello, Christina. Hello. Uh, I just wanted to get the word out, give encouragement to people to give to Mercury One and the Nazarene Fund. My husband and I gave last year. We got a Christmas card with a precious picture of the of one of the rescued uh, trafficking victims. You know. <laughs> There's no greater seed that can be sown. It will not return void. Whether you're religious or non-religious, political or apolitical, give to the Mercury One. Wow, Christina, thank you, thank you so much. Where in California do you live? I live in Fresno, the Central Valley. I'm a conservative. I watch the PGA. <laughs> I, I'm a unicorn. You're talking to a real life unicorn. <laughs> yeah, <you're, laughs> well, good luck with the mudslides and the rains and the fires and the earthquakes that are coming your way. I read about them this morning, and uh, so you've got nothing to worry about. You're in California, so you're in safe hands. God bless well, I'm you. I'm landlocked, so what we're doing, we're being starved of agricultural water by our state legislature. You know, that crazy Governor Brown. So that's what I'm dealing with. It's crazy. It is really, truly crazy. Christina, thank you so much, and God bless. And thank you. Thank you for giving to the uh, Mercury One and the Nazarene Fund. So I took my truck in. Just needed oil change. No big deal. And I come and I pick it up, and uh, like hey, it's got a problem. Oh, jeez. What? So it would have cost me a couple thousand dollars to fix this, but I have coverage from CarShield. You do not have to worry about those unexpected surprises when they come. That check engine light, man, that is, that is I don't know what's worse, the check engine light going on or the the blue lights that you see in your rear view mirror. And you're, because you get that immediately break out in a cold sweat. Oh, dear God, what is this going to cost? Replacing, you know, anything in your car today, just a chip can be over a thousand bucks. CarShield makes the process of fixing your car for a covered repair super easy. You can have your favorite mechanic or the dealership do the work. It's your choice. And they provide 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed for free. So if your car has 5,000, 150,000 miles and you, you don't have, you know, the, um, the warranty anymore, that mean you have to pay high repair bills. Go to CarShield. Save yourself now from high repair bills. Get covered in the with the ultimate in extended vehicle protection at 800-CAR-6100. 800-CAR-6100. Mention the promo code or you can visit carshield.com and use the promo code back and you'll save 10%. That's carshield.com. Promo code back. Deductible may apply. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Welcome to the program. A Kansas woman suspicious that someone had broken into her home called police. The uh, Salina Journal reports a 23-year-old woman called police at her home Thursday after finding her front door was chained from the inside. 
Police say they went to the house, they searched the house, and could find no intruder. They were baffled. How did someone lock the chain of the door without anybody being inside? Well, two hours later, the woman and her current boyfriend heard a loud noise. They rushed out into the living room and looked up. and They saw two legs hanging out of the living room ceiling. Apparently, the woman's 25-year-old former boyfriend had fallen through partially through the living room ceiling. He was hiding in the attic. Police say the current boyfriend then pulled the old boyfriend, pulled on his legs and pulled him the rest of the way through the ceiling, and they began fighting. Bergkamp, the guy in the ceiling, faces several charges, including aggravated burglary and criminal threat. We used to encourage persistence in this country, and now look where we are. Right? I mean, guy obviously just really cares. (laughs) Really dedicated to that ex. 24-year-old Virginia woman allegedly driving drunk in New Jersey over the weekend smashed into two parked cars. She said to her friend, I'm too drunk to drive. Her friend said, okay, well, I can drive. So they switched places. Uh, Her friend uh, went behind the wheel, and uh, they smashed into two more cars before police came. And They allegedly told the cops they were trying to figure out who was less drunk to drive the car. um, Neither of them really were less drunk. They were way over the legal limit, uh, and uh, they had banged up the uh, SUV that they were driving in that they, uh, they couldn't drive it anymore. And uh, cops had a hard time getting them out. So it's surprisingly you don't get points for being less drunk. No, if you're drunk, which Stu, which one of us is less drunk? <laughs> if there's a warning label, do not operate heavy machinery when you are drunk. Which one of us would that label be talking? To? <laughs> Apparently, in this case, both. Yes. On the weekend that Chappaquiddick comes out in theaters, it's probably. Right, we may maybe remind her that uh, driving <clears throat> while impaired hmm. may not be the best idea. Might have been a good thing to have him ask that question. Which one of us are less drunk? Well, I'm not drunk, but you are. Might have been a good question for him to ask. <laughs> I would. I would say, given the circumstances that we now are you going to go, go see Chappaquiddick? Yeah, definitely. I'm really. I'm really excited to see. Have it. you seen Ready Player One? No. You don't want to. I mean, I would see it. I saw a runtime of what two thirty-eight, and I was like, eh, "You're stretching." I it really want to see it, but I, I I read the book, and mm-hmm. it's one of the best books I've ever read. I mean, I started reading it, and I said, "Everybody, everybody, come in the room." And my whole family came in, and they don't. I mean, you know, some people will say to me, "Oh, I wish. Oh man, I wish I could hear you read that book." No, if you're in my family, nobody wants to hear that. Okay, nobody wants to hear the old no, timey stories. They don't want to hear the you know history. Le- they don't want to hear it. You've been paid lots of money over your career to read uh, to I read know. material like that in an entertaining fashion, but your family doesn't. My family is like, shut up. Okay, just mm-hmm. shut up. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so and they know you best, so. and they know me best. So, uh, so anyway, so uh, I said, everybody, come here, and I read a chapter. We ended up reading the entire book over like a four-day period. I mean, we were just, we were all on vacation, and I just read it out loud, and it is a great book. 
And we read it when it came out, and we were like, this is going to be the greatest movie ever. But we discussed you'd never be able to make it because it would be way too expensive just in the rights alone because it's all pop culture. And it's amazing. When we heard that Steven Spielberg had secured the rights, we're like, he's the only guy that could do it right. Uh, I've heard really good things about it. Are you seeing? I've heard that if you've read the book, you're really not going to like it. If you haven't read the book, you're going to love it. But, I mean, I read Harry Potter, and I still like the Harry Potter, and it, the book was better. But you still like the movie. Glenn I still like the movie. Mercury. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Let's talk a little bit about this uh, trade, trade war that's going on. Larry Kudlow says it's not a trade war, but <laughs> Larry, it is a trade war. Um... You know, hopefully it is just a negotiating point. It will go away soon. But Dow is down another 400 points uh, today. Uh, And that is because Donald Trump doubled down and said, we're going to do a hundred billion dollars on tariffs uh, on China because we didn't like your response. Well, China is now expected to respond. And uh, they are looking at things that actually I mean, let me put it this way. Donald Trump just went after the oligarchs. Why did he do that, Stu? Why did he pick that group? Uh, they're very tied into the Kremlin. They're mm-hmm. tied into Putin. They're very important for Russia's economy. They're his support team, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Who is Trump's support team? The center of the country. Who do you think China's going to hit? China is going to hit the center of the country, and they are going to hit the poorest and and the farmers mm-hmm. that's who they're going to hit this is going to hurt bad and it can get much worse than that if you know they've got what a trillion dollars two trillion trillion and a half something like that in treasuries and something we never even think of they refine almost all the world's supply of precious metals the precious metal that goes into cell phones and computers and high-tech weaponry if they were to withhold exporting that to us that would cripple us well, for years you know, it's, you know, until it's, we could catch up yeah. again. Here's the deal. We have all of that. We do. We just don't do anything with we've, it. We've, we've banned the exploration and mining of all of that precious mm-hmm. metal because it's up in Alaska. And God forbid we hurt the elk. Uh, and and so we don't have access to it. So we've it left take it us, all to China. Yeah. It'll take us a decade to get it. So short-sighted. Just we, We've made some unbelievably stupid decisions over the years. I, I don't even understand it. Except for the fact that they're pandering to the environmentalists. You can do all that stuff safely anyway without really dis- disrupting moose uh, mating habits much at all. <laughs> right. You could play a little Barry Manilow, put him back in the mood. Yeah. Okay, we know you. the mining probably puts you off your mood, but here's some Manilow for you. Just put giant speakers out there in the wilderness. You think be the fine. mining too, I mean, it warms the area around there, so I mean, right. maybe it would actually get them more in the mood. Right. Maybe we'd, have, we'd be overrun by elk. There we go. Global warming. Listen to these two extremists. <laughs> So uh, this yeah. is this is this is really it could be really bad. This could be really bad. This is though we sh- should put it in perspective in that this is a is a campaign promise kept by Donald Trump. I mean, this is not yeah. something he hid and came up with later. This is exactly explicitly what he ran on. And he said just yesterday the truth, which is there's going to be a lot of economic pain with these policies. But and we'll get stronger. But because it's worth of it. it. You mm-hmm. know, he say, you know, if you're a farmer and, you know, you look the, the first of the 50 billion dollars. And he put that on tariffs, which is, again, we should be clear, a $50 billion tax increase on the American consumer. 
Okay, that's what a tariff is. It's a it's a tax increase on the American consumer to try to punish some other source. But that's who winds up paying it is us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that that fifty billion dollar tax and especially increase, the poor. Um, yeah, exactly. Especially the poor. The fifty billion dollar tax increase uh, ha- has been projected to cost America one hundred and ninety thousand jobs. Now, an extra one hundred billion dollars on top of that. I mean, it probably won't be exactly double, but probably another three or four hundred thousand jobs will be hurt because of that. And again, Trump has been clear with this and consistent the entire time. Yes, we will do this. He said yesterday we had a lot of stock market gains. We're going to have to give some of those back. This is a policy that everyone on Earth knows is bad for an economy. But he's saying you're going to pay for that now. We're going to take some hits in the economy now. But over the long term, we'll be stronger. He's promised it from the beginning. I mean, there's not a lot of evidence to support it in history, but it's something he promised. And he won the election partially based on that platform. So I think his supporters, many of his supporters will uh, support him through this until they start feeling the pain. Once they start feeling the pain, he's going to need to ratchet up the it's the Chinese, it's the Chinese, it's the Chinese. And this is why trade wars lead to actual wars. Um, and we saw it, we saw it uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, this occurred. Uh, it was it started with a trade war, and people were like, "Oh, it's just a bunch of boring people around a Senate. These prequels suck." That was and a then what happened? Series of documentaries. Yes. That, uh, oh yeah. Focused on what a trade war. Guys, that was Star Wars. It was a movie. Um, it was and, a documentary a film. Bad I would say I would call it a documentary film. Yeah, it was a very series of very bad movies. <laughs> very bad. But that's what eventually people start taking. You know, yeah. they build Death Stars. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what happens. happens at the end. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. Have you also? We we haven't gone through the uh, Roseanne conspiracy theories yet. Uh, have you heard these, Pat? Uh, no. Yeah. So so Roseanne is. Uh, Roseanne is strangely Donald Trump for Donald Trump uh, because I, I think, you know, uh, well, she's she's crazy, mm-hmm. but I thought she was connecting with the average person in the center of the country who is feeling pain. And so that's what she was reflecting on the show. I'm not so sure that's what's happening because she is she believes this really weird, almost pizza gate times two conspiracy theory that she says that donald trump is is arresting democrats who are in a in a a sex ring a childhood sex slave ring and he's taking care of that now she believes this well it's not 100 percent confirmed so she she tweeted people were like why are you you know she was she ran as a communist mm-hmm. for president of the United States, a socialist party called the Peace and Freedom Party in 2012. It's the clip that we played twice today, which is Roseanne saying in an interview for her campaign, she said, I we should uh, lop the heads off of bankers, bankers. who break rules. Yeah. Uh, she's a socialist. So why the heck does she, she she's, support she's Donald Trump? Yeah, or yeah. communist. Yeah. Um, why does she support Donald Trump? Well, it's not because she's, well, really a conservative at heart. Um, she says President Trump has freed so many children held in bondage to pimps all over this world. Hundreds each month. He's broken up trafficking rings <laughs> and high places everywhere. Notice that. I disagree on some things, but give him the benefit of the doubt for now. So 
Mm. So people actually, don't... this company has actually had a hand in that. I don't think Donald Trump has raised a finger to do any of that. It would be great, honestly. With this, we just talked about a real case where he can help mm-hmm. um, with, uh, and this isn't quite sexual Christian slavery, this refugees, Nazarene fund related. And it would be great yeah. if Pence or Trump could step up to help this because they can actually do something about yes. that. So this is a situation where uh, she kind of later tried to say no no i'm not saying conspiracy she posted that he named it national child abuse abuse prevention month that's what, like, she, was like that's what she was referring to uh-huh. however her past shows a a strong proclivity to conspiracy theories also she has mentioned the person who has launched this conspiracy theory months and months ago on twitter asking who he was and asking for a direct message from this person so the way this started on 4chan the uh message board which most conspiracy theories seem to start these days um, and it's also sort of a place where people troll each other and prank each other. So no one knows when things are serious mm. and when they're not. And what's mm-hmm. funny is that people make jokes on 4chan that went up to being turned into serious conspiracy theories later, which is a really weird sort of this work sounds path. like a fun weekend hobby for me. Oh, gosh. It's <laughs> amazing. Just to go hey, there. Hey, Pat, let's get on 4chan. <laughs> um, so they have this political, uh, politically incorrect message board, which was where this started. Um, one specific user, user goes by the name Q. Uh, Q Clearance Patriot or Q Anon. A lot of people are anonymous on this uh, site. Um, basically, Trump made a speech in which he mentioned the calm before the storm. It was a minor blurb for a couple of days where people are like, what the heck is the storm? Even like legitimate journalists are like, what are you even talking about? Well, because he, it was never answered, people started filling in the blanks with a conspiracy theory. The storm being um, that it is a massive arrest of Democrats involved in a satanic child sex trafficking. <sighs> thing. Obviously, it's the first thing you're going to go to. It seems like every this is it's basically Pizzagate without the pizza. Wow. So Roseanne has <laughs> mentioned wow. uh, the particular person who came up with this, which there's no evidence to to believe that this person is tied into anything. He's he's uh, or he or she has come out and said uh, John uh, Podesta was going to be arrested on November third. Now you guys remember that arrest by any chance? No, no. But I'm just trying to I'm just trying to get my occur. arms around your denial that the Democrats are in a, a satanic uh, death cult that uh, is selling children into sex slavery. Doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence uh, supporting this, as we've seen already. I mean, this is all, Pizzagate has already gone through its cycle of mm-hmm. being something and then being discredited and now going away. Yeah, and Alex Jones, who uh, promulgated that uh, theory, mm-hmm. actually was sued for it yeah, and, and had apologized. to make an on-air apology yeah. about it. Like, that's how bad this has gone. Even yeah. Alex Jones has abandoned yeah. this theory, right? But no, Had to, because there was nothing to it. They, they actually went to i think it's called was it ping pong pizza yeah something yeah comment something ping, pong. ping pong yeah. pizza and there's no basement there so right. it's hard to run a basement <laughs> sex slave trade when you don't have a basement i mean if you're building a conspiracy theory <laughs> pick a building with a basement please guys i can't believe how stupid you are oh we are yeah you do you remember the bat mm. pole i do the, yeah. yeah that wasn't just out in the open yeah, that's true you had that's to know true. you have yeah, to take shakespeare's true. head open it up push the okay. button then that wall opens. <laughs> then it opens uh, <laughs> uh, another interesting part of this is part of the conspiracy theory appears to be that Mueller is a good guy now most of the tr- sort of pro-trump um, media if you want to go into the pro-trump conspiracy media ha- obviously thinks Mueller's a bad guy he's investigating russia we don't want him to investigate russia there's nothing there it's a hoax right this is Mueller is actually not investigating trump and russia he's actually investigating the child sex rings secretly 
So he's actually on the side of Trump as they're working to bust up these child sex rings. Boy, people have a lot of time on how how does this how does how does Roseanne? I mean, you know, we're talking about Kevin Williamson today. Kevin Williamson in a in in a piece of critical thinking said, do we believe this? If you believe that abortion is murder, then we should execute those who are involved in abortion. Now, this is a this is a political mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, educational thought piece. Okay? Yeah. Roseanne gets on television and she says in her campaign, I think we should execute those that were involved in uh, Wall Street in 2008, behead them, guillotines, and we'll give them a chance at the re-education camp first. She's serious. She believes in this stuff. They won't even let Alex Jones. They don't want Megan Kelly to even do an interview with Meg, with uh, with uh, Alex, Alex Jones. Jones. Mm-hmm. And yet they'll give Roseanne a TV show. <laughs> I mean, I don't even understand it. I, the world makes no sense whatsoever. Thus, I think those tunnels. There's two. And there's tunnels. I think it's those tunnels true. exist. I it's think they absolutely. True. Yep. I think all pizza, big pizza is involved in this. You know, what? whatever happened to the Noid, I think he's running this thing. Did you notice that Domino, uh, Domino's Pizza doesn't do a 30-minute delivery anymore? Hmm. Did too much... Too, too many sex slaves in their basement. <laughs> Apparently. Wow. All run by the Noid. They yeah. said avoid the Noid. Why do you think? <laughs> he's bringing you to the tunnels beneath their stores. That's why you have to say, when you call them, you say, yeah, I would like it delivered in 12 minutes. Oh, no. <laughs> and that's wow. thirty's way too old. Yeah. Definitely <laughs> not eighteen. That's I good. want something under eighteen minutes delivered. <laughs> good God! <laughs> uh, this is going to be on four chan by the rest of the end of the day, <laughs> sure will and be. then featured on Alex Jones, mm-hmm. uh, Pat Gray Unleashed. Maybe he'll be talking about these important issues as well. Coming up on the Blaze Radio and TV networks, and at Pat Unleashed on Twitter, LibertySafe.com. Where you can go and find the Liberty Safe for you. At Liberty Safe, you can now not only find great uh, safes, but at great prices and receive 12 months interest-free payments with zero down and zero APR. They even offer Liberty Safes now for as low as $20 a month. We've been working with Liberty for eight years now, and there is nothing like owning a Liberty Safe. Made here in America. Peace of mind, lifetime warranty, and in-home delivery service that is unmatched in the industry. So when you buy a Liberty Safe, buy a bigger one, because that's their number one complaint. Gee, I should have bought a bigger one. Liberty Safe. Do what we did. Have it installed right in your home. 12 months interest-free payments as low as $20 a month on approved credit. Act now. It's LibertySafe.com. That's LibertySafe.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Stu, time for one story. Choose your news. All right. New Yorkers repeatedly ticketed even though they don't have a car. <laughs> Headline number two. Mm. Mother turns placenta into smoothie nah. and serves it to kids mm. who say it's yummy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> uh, that's just a, it's not even a... Oh, it's just what a, is wrong with people? What is wrong with people? Placenta is like one of those words that's disgusting even if you don't know what it means. There's just something about the sound of it that's gross. Headline number three. Ugh. New York has finally arrested the serial <laughs> underwear stealer. Wow. Okay. So yeah. let's go through these. Uh, first of all, 
absolutely no chance placenta wins it. No, no, no. Placenta is out. No, no, no. I do not want to hear about a placenta No, she said her kids, listen to this, she said her kids said that it was really good. Um, uh, She said drinking the smoothie gives them uh, energy, better and deeper, deeper sleep. And she said her kids liked it because it had berries in it. That's because they like berries, not because they like placenta. Well, if you don't so that one's out and into smoothie, that's fine. Have I learned a lesson here to not rule a story out or you'll tell me about it? Because that uh, something I need <laughs> no, to learn. No, there was the much more to this. that story. Okay, good. I'm glad yeah. I skipped it. So then you have the, the people getting ticketed for nothing mm-hmm. or the serial underwear stealer. Mm-hmm. I, there's a part of me that kind of wants to know how you're getting a ticket when you're not a driver. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, how do you go against the serial underwear stealer? I want to know what this is about. In his confession, he said he stole underwear... Because he felt urges. <laughs> on, sever- on several occasions, he entered a home and opened the hampers and picked through it to find soiled women's underwear. He was taken into custody. It happened around 9 a.m. last Thursday. Young woman in her house was alone. Prosecutor, she was sleeping, but woke up when she heard the door open. She called out, hello. And that's when she saw the underwear thief in her home. The underwear thief had been in her home several times. She then locked the door and called 911. The responding officers say that the underwear thief was at the door of another house in the neighborhood, (laughs) pretending to knock on the door. They found several pairs of soiled women's panties on him. Uh, And uh, and here's here's the kicker of this. He's a New York State judge and very well respected. And his colleague said, we never expected this, but he's very good and everybody likes him. So we're just going to have to watch and see how this plays out. (laughs) Wow. It's like Chappaquiddick. Glenn Beck. Mercury. Mercury.